0: You're listening to Tech Tank, a bi-weekly podcast from the Brookings Institution, exploring the most consequential technology issues of our time. From racial bias and algorithms to the future of work, Tech Tank takes big ideas and makes them acceptable. You're listening to the Tech Tank podcast, where we talk about complicated tech policy issues and make them more digestible for our listeners. I'm Dr. Nicole Turner Lee, your co host for today. And this is a very important topic. With the current trajectory of AI poised to become increasingly pervasive, it's time to have a frank conversation on its future. We all know that it's revolutionizing industries like healthcare, finance, transportation criminal justice, education, employment, and the list goes on. And as we have these conversations, we're having other debates on what the future of regulation, oversight, legislation, guidance, voluntary commitments, and the list goes on, what it will look like in terms of the future of AI in the US. My guest today is no stranger to this conversation. He's a leader at the helm of both legislation and perspective that we all should pay attention to. As a leader in the House of Representatives who not only understands technology, he's poised to help push forward, I think, an interesting bipartisan framework that can lend itself to our competitiveness here in the U.S. Ted Lieu represents California's 36th Congressional District in the United States House of Representatives. He's serving in his fifth term in Congress and sits on the House Judiciary Committee, Foreign Affairs Committee, and Science, Space, and Technology Committee. He was also elected by his colleagues to serve as vice chair of the Democratic Caucus, making him the highest ranking Asian American to have ever served in House leadership. He's a veteran who's also served on active duty, then in the reserves for the Air Force. He retired in 2021 with the rank of colonel. Welcome to the podcast, Representative Lou. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Nicole. Honored to be on the podcast. Well, we appreciate your voice and perspective here today. Listen, you recently introduced a non-binding resolution in Congress regarding artificial intelligence. Can you tell us more about the inspiration behind that initiative and what you hope to achieve with it? Let's start there. As
1: a recovering computer science major, I am super excited about AI It has helped society. It's going to continue to make amazing advancements for society, but it can also harm us. And I thought it's important that we have Congress start focusing on this issue. And it's one reason that I put out that
0: resolution. Now, in the resolution, you mentioned the importance of ensuring that AI development and deployment are done safely and ethically, while respecting the rights and privacy of all Americans, which I think is, you know, a really Safe and you know place to go with this because the deployment is one thing, but also being trustworthy and ethical is another thing. Can you elaborate, Congressman, on the specific challenges and risk that you believe AI poses to society if it's left unregulated and unchecked?
1: Sure, let me uh, tell you how I view AI as a lawmaker. And to me, the best analogy is two bodies of water. You've got a large ocean of AI and then this small lake of AI. Mm. So in this large ocean, is all the AI we don't care about. Uh, so for example, uh, if uh, your smart refrigerator malfunctions, we actually don't care about that. Uh, but as a lawmaker, uh, we've got this lake of AI where we would care about it. And here are some reasons why. I think there's three buckets. Uh, the first bucket is AI that can literally destroy the world. So the Department of Defense has weapons known as autonomous weapons, And I've introduced bipartisan legislation that basically says no matter how amazing AI ever gets, we're never going to let it launch a nuclear weapon by itself. There always has to be a human in the loop. The second bucket is going to be AI that isn't going to destroy the world but can kill people individually. Uh, So if your laptop malfunctions, it's not going 40 miles per hour. But AI, an automated vehicle, when that malfunctions, it could kill people and it has killed people and will continue to do so. There's a lot of AI moving objects, planes, trains, and automobiles, and I want to make sure that we have more regulators and laws and state regulators who are more attuned to the unique aspects of AI. And then last bucket is the hardest, which is AI that can't have a bias or a harm that isn't going to kill anyone, but can really harm people. We've got AI algorithms, for example, in hiring that could be harmful to certain races or genders if not done correctly. AI algorithms and assessing credit risks, AI algorithms and facial recognition, all of which could have race and gender impacts.
0: And I'm glad that you mentioned it in that context, right? Because I think as I've done this work, uh, Congressman, a lot of people conflate the three, right? They sort of look at all three of them and suggest that we've got to ensure that we have national security concerns implicated in any governance structure. And we also need to make sure on the other end that we have the public interest in mind. So I'm glad that you laid that out for us because all of them pose equal threats, right, in the long run. Now, one intriguing aspect of your resolution is that you wrote it entirely by an AI chatbot, bot, chat GPT. <laughs> Let me say that again for people who uh, think that this congressman uh, is putting his money where his mouth is. How did you come up with that idea to use the AI to draft the resolution in that matter? I'm I'm just curious about you know your reasoning and also the capabilities that you felt you know would drive forward what you wanted what you wanted to say essentially?
1: We've always had AI for a number of decades. So the AI in your phone that allows you to navigate anywhere uh, that we've had around for a while. Uh, there's AI in You know, credit card reporting systems that help make sure your credit card isn't hacked and so on. But last year, we saw a qualitative leap in AI technology with a public release of ChatGPT. This is called generative AI. So the way it works is in the past, AI was based on pattern recognition, and you give an algorithm basically a million pictures of cats. And after a while, it figures out what's a cat and what's not a cat. With generative AI, You say cat, and it generates 27 pictures of cats for you, and then writes an entire essay about the importance of cats uh, to the history of America. And that was such a big leap forward that I wanted to highlight it because I realized this is going to change society in a pretty major way in a number of professions. And I also wanted to see, could it do something such as write a piece of federal legislation? So I essentially put in a prompt to have it write a piece of federal legislation. And I was the first member of Congress to have introduced an entire piece of federal legislation written by ChatGPT.
0: Yeah, I can't believe it. I mean, listen, I'm curious in terms of that process for you. Did you uh, bet it for bias? Was it written in your language? I think you understand that some of the challenges that we're having, particularly with generative AI when it comes to hypertextual is just ensuring like the integrity and voice of the user. Did you have any problems with that or was it pretty much on point? I'm just curious. <laughs> I encourage everyone
1: to use generative AI, whether it's ChatGPT or Microsoft's Bing or Google's Bard, just to play around with it and see how it works. And as people know, when you use generative AI, you can put in the exact same prompt and it'll give you somewhat different answers. So I tried various different prompts, but what was important to me is I wanted to be able to write a prompt and not have to edit the answer in any way. Uh, And so uh, after a few tries, in fact, it did generate a bill that was uh, pretty much basically perfect. It's not the way I would have written it exactly, uh, but it was perfect in the sense that I could submit it uh, directly to the floor of the House of Representatives and have it accepted as a bill.
0: Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, I'm glad you brought that example up, and I'm glad the resolution was written that way because that is one of the opportunities, I think, with any of these generative tools. You know, it's ability to scan information that is previously curated, right, in ways that it can make sense uh, logically and synthesize logically, which again, we should get back to because I know, you know, under guarding this conversation are just some of the other areas of concern. But, I, Glad to see that you were the first to do it. I, I don't even know what to say with that except, wow, you know, uh, I got to put some uh, risks in my, in my uh, treasure trove here and do things like that myself. Um, but I want to shift, though, outside of that resolution and talk a little bit about this nonpartisan commission, which I am really excited about. I know there are many people who are listening that do not often like the idea of starting any type of commission when it comes to big issues like AI. But I do think you put some relevant points into this establishment of the commission, because I do think um, we tend to be a little bit all over the place, Congressman, when it comes to what is the most appropriate way and the most appropriate place to regulate this emerging technology. Talk to us about the commission and just the reason for it and what role you see the commission playing in shaping AI policy. Um, particularly as it pays attention to more public interest goals and concerns? Uh,
1: First, there is precedence for this. On the military side, there was an AI commission established to look at the various impacts to our national security. That commission got pretty good reviews and we've adopted a number of the recommendations. This is going to be on a civilian side. And second, it is bipartisan. It's going to be a Blue Ribbon Commission that will make recommendations to Congress as to what kinds of AI we should regulate and how we might want to go about doing so. And third, uh, it is going to be transparent. So I commend the U.S. Senate for doing a lot in terms of looking at the issues of AI. I do note it's all behind closed doors. Uh, So we don't know, for example, what are these Silicon Valley uh, leaders telling these senators. This commission will be open and transparent. So you'll know who they talked to, what these people said, uh, what information they relied on and how they got to their conclusions. And I think that's very important that American people don't see us doing things behind closed doors, but have an open, transparent process so we can all start from the same page.
0: And that's what I really appreciate about you and the work that you've been doing because that transparency is key. As you know, oftentimes when we speak about the concerns of AI, transparency is usually one of the big, you know, Uh, priorities when it comes to civil society groups and researchers who not only, you know, just want to get inside the black box in terms of looking at computational models, but they want to know the intent for the design. They want to know if there's been some due diligence when it comes to outcomes with this commission. And, you know, I'm old, but not that old, right. But I remember things like the Kerner commission and other commissions that have been established over the course of American history And they've been done to do two things, uh, Congressman, raise awareness and transparency and effectuate change. When you think about the long-term future of this commission, do you think this is something that can finally provide some regulatory uh, direction or legislative direction, as well as, you know, um, things that we need to do on behalf of the public interest that may require other avenues?
1: I certainly hope so. I'm very pleased that it is bipartisan. Yeah. Now, I also do note that just objectively, since the Republicans took control, we've just been trying to stop stupid stuff, right? We almost went to default on our nation's debts. We have to make sure we fund government, just very basic things. Uh, So I think part of it is just a bandwidth issue uh, because the majority party uh, is so chaotic, it's hard to get very much done. And my hope is that the majority
0: of party uh, will become less chaotic. Yeah. And I think it's important, too, to do this commission as we approach the elections as well. We want to get this right, right? We don't have any time for AI to creep into our election system and promote misinformation or disinformation as well. And I know that's something you're equally concerned with. I mean, I'm thinking about that op-ed that you wrote in The New York Times where you mentioned that if AI is left unchecked, it's going to have deadly consequences, you know, I'm not saying that misinformation is deadly, but speak to us about some examples of scenarios where that unregulated AI is going to pose some serious risk to our democracy as well as to other areas that, you know, people are dependent upon. Well, let's
1: go to uh my first bucket of AI that can destroy the world. So with Generative AI, an experiment was run, run by Dr. Esvelt of MIT. He told his students Basically, to go on Generative AI and basically find out if they can build a lethal virus, like find a way to do that, and essentially, about an hour, they had the ability to know how to do that. That is somewhat, or perhaps, very alarming. And if you make it easier for people to do this, it may just happen that a terrorist group or you know some very smart person in the basement of their home decides to do this because in terms of viruses they are actually much easier to make uh, than say a nuclear dirty bomb because you know getting uranium is not that easy however there are a number of companies right now that will send you a vial of the 1918 flu now they shouldn't send it to you hopefully they do a background check and if they do send it they know exactly why they're doing so uh, but you've got Certainly the capability out there for a lot of people to build lethal viruses and AI left unchecked can do that. Uh, In terms of democracy, you have already AI that can do deep fake technology and do fake videos. You have algorithms where if you give it a half hour's worth of your voice, it'll sound like you. If you give it two hours worth of your voice, your family members will not be able to distinguish whether it's you or not you. And there's already scams where people end up wiring money because their sons or daughters came up with some situation that urgently needed money. And it turned out that was totally a fake AI hoax. So it's something that, if unregulated, could cause harm.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the thing. You know, I've been hearing a lot about these discussions on, you know, risk-based management, uh, harm-based management. I mean, I think, I think at the end of the day, they both kind of like the same, right? Because they're going to foreclose on opportunities where they're institutionally, uh, individually. And I, I think those are really serious consequences if we don't really get this get this in a place where we can manage it better. I mean, the thing I love about you and your perspective in this space is that you know the good as well as these concerns that emerge. And, you know, you've always, since I've watched you and read your work and had the opportunity to hear you speak on several occasions, managed that. Talk to us a little bit about how do we strike a balance between innovation, risk, and harms-based scenarios? And what kind of actions do we need to trigger to ensure that we're addressing all three adequately, right? Either by itself, uh innovation, risk, harms, or are we thinking that we should be doing something that's more broad stroke when it comes to AI governance? Uh, that is a terrific
1: question and it's enormously hard to answer. That's why I think we have a commission of people far smarter than me look at these <laughs> issues and make recommendations. But there are some points I do want to make. A disclosure uh, I think could be quite helpful. So we have an entire... Robust legal system that is based on protecting our rights. And you, for example, have the right to not be discriminated, uh, let's say, in terms of hiring based on race or gender. Well, let's say there's an AI algorithm that a company uses to hire people and it inadvertently discriminates based on a certain race or gender. You wouldn't even know to be able to sue if you were discriminated against if you didn't know they were using that AI algorithm. I think part of it is just letting people know, hey, AI is making decisions in this context or assisting human beings in making decisions in this context, and then we can let their legal system uh, do the work that it's uh, been doing. So that's one way to do it. Another is to step in beforehand and not let an AI algorithm or program to be deployed. I think that's harder to do. But we might want to think about that in the context of weapons of mass destruction. And that's something that I think we have to do some serious thinking about. Do we have some sort of government agency look at these large language models and say, look, you can't put this out to the general public because a terrorist group can use it and learn how to make a lethal virus quite easily?
0: Yeah, you know, and I, I, am, I am team disclosure, <laughs> let's put it like that. I mean, I think... To your point, you know, people do not have agency over the use of these models within their lives. And having a simple disclosure does a couple of things, right? It creates an incremental movement when we talk about governance here in the U.S. But I totally agree with you. People need that type of low-level transparency to know how they're interacting with these systems. I always give the example, Congressman, is the difference between getting your FICO store and maybe... Getting an algorithmic prediction on a third-party tool, right? Where you need that, you still need the FICO score to buy the car, although you are still on track based on what the algorithm is predicting in terms of your credit worthiness. That's the first thing. But I also love the fact that you're talking about, you know, having disclosure too, where there might have some limitations when it comes to you know, certain biases that may be embedded in the data. I want to talk to you a little bit more about that because you've been a leader in the conversation on facial rec uh, technology as well. And I think that speaks to that. You know, my question too, though, is even in the midst of the commission and the potential for disclosure, we are hearing President Biden's, you know, conversation on voluntary commitments. That is companies sort of creating safe, civil and trustworthy systems making commitments to do so. I mean, how confident are you that companies themselves can create those products and scenarios? I mean, you did mention that latest meeting happened behind closed doors. What are your thoughts about voluntary commitments being added to the mix or is that something the commission could also explicate further for the general public? What does that mean, you know?
1: <laughs> I think voluntary commitments are great because they can be executed quickly. I don't think there'll be enough, and government I think will have to step in to fill in the gaps. But I am very supportive of voluntary commitments. I also note that we don't have to recreate the wheel. NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, put out a pretty good AI risk-based framework. Yes, and it's gotten some good reviews in both the public and private sector. So Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren and I and others, we wrote a letter to the Biden administration basically saying, hey, look, one of your agencies did this great thing. Why don't you apply that to all your agencies and have your administration follow the actual standards that NIST put out? And then we would hope that more in the private sector would do that. And these standards are general enough uh, that it could apply to a lot of organizations and institutions and it really is more about a way of thinking about AI and it at least causes organizations and or people to think about AI. And if we even just get people to do that, that would be a step forward.
0: Well, and you also mentioned it, right? It creates some standards of guidance, right? And that I like it for that purpose as well. And it incorporates things like bias identification and mitigation when it comes to developing trustworthy and responsible AI. You know, some suggest, you know, they may not be a lot of enforcement on that, right? Because NIST doesn't necessarily do role rulemaking, et cetera. Do you think that's where, you know, maybe some self-regulatory uh, guidance along with, I don't know, enforcement? I, I've I've come up with this idea, Congressman, around uh something like an energy star rating, which is a collaborative uh process where you can have some type of indication, a better housekeeping seal per se, right? That this technology has followed the risk management framework, has been endorsed by others in the ecosystem, has been tested on a variety of populations. Do you think we'll need something like that to bring confidence to the American public around these products?
1: That's a great point. That's something I've been thinking about. Uh, In in another context in cybersecurity, Senator Markey and I, Introduce the Cyber Shield legislation, which basically is a voluntary standard that if private sector companies meet, they can put this Cyber Shield on their product. And then a the consumer will know that their product has some basic cybersecurity defenses in it. We're very pleased that the Biden administration essentially decided to go forward with this idea and they're implementing it. They're calling it something a little bit different, they're calling it a, a Cyber Trust logo. Uh, it looks to us like a shield, which is great, but it's the Cyber Trust program, which is basically uh, the same concept. Now, you could look at doing that also for AI so that a large company, let's say who wants to buy a software hiring algorithm, they'll know that if this program has, let's say some sort of designation on it, then it would have met certain basic standards against biases. So that's something we're Uh, looking at.
0: Yeah, I would love to, you know, keep talking about that, because I think, you know, for the American public, going back to your comment on disclosure, they just need to know that this is being, you know, operating when they're doing certain things or making socioeconomic determinations on them. You know, I think it's this movement, right? Uh, Congressman from us being subjects of the technology to having more agency, right? And not necessarily being the product behind the product, right? But essentially knowing how these things get made. And we're seeing that. I love the fact that you brought up the cyber uh, example, because I think we're seeing that in energy and other spaces where there's some designation that this is coming with a responsible AI processes and procedures. You know, I want us to just think about, the fact that you know this technology very well, right, compared to many of your colleagues. Do you think that we're going to need to get some of your fellow colleagues just um, more astute to how the technology works to be able to regulate it? Or are they going to just all have to ask you questions, Congressman, when it comes to these technologies? I don't think
1: you have to know how programming code works or Even how AI works to vote on legislation related to AI. As members of Congress, uh, we vote on all sorts of things of which we're not experts on. Uh, So, for example, I honestly don't really know uh, how a Boeing 787 actually flies, but I'm going to vote on FAA reauthorization. Uh, So, I think as long as a member of Congress understands what the goal of the bill is, what the harm the bill is trying to address, And just some basic concepts about AI, then I think it's perfectly fine to not only vote on bills, but also introduce their own bills.
0: Yeah. Well, that brings me to a question. And I like the way you brought up the FAA. There is a lot of conversation among uh, policymakers around the creation of a new agency. Uh, that could be very helpful in uh, supporting staffers who are creating legislation or helping us mitigate through some of the harms that may be more technical, you know, maybe adjacent to other existing agencies like the Federal Trade Commission and others. Do you think we need a new agency that is like technology-driven and technology-focused? I think we definitely need more
1: regulators uh, in this space, whether it's a new agency or whether we empower. The existing agencies we have to do more in terms of looking at AI, I'm agnostic on that. It's one reason I think we should have a commission to tell us different ways of how we might want to regulate AI. But I do know that it will be impossible for Congress to try to regulate uh, AI, every possible application where it could cause harm. We just don't have the bandwidth to be able to do that
0: yeah and this idea of maybe having more uh technical expertise in our regulators is interesting right I mean it does change the game when it comes to who we place in those positions, you know which could be interesting right going forward, particularly if we're dealing with tech um focused uh uh decision making bodies who require some of that you know technical expertise to be to be more efficient um i don't know do you think that's something that your colleagues would pick up on like hey we're about to put an appointment in for someone in a very highly technical space or <laughs> seems like, like a couple step. of steps yeah. so, to uh, get there
1: that's a hope it's also very clear to me we're gonna to have to pay them more because <laughs> right right because of their explosion in ai you're seeing a lot of private sector companies hiring folks and if you're going to do this for the government we're just gonna to have to increase compensation. Otherwise we're not gonna be able to compete.
0: Yeah, and then that's an important point too. I mean, this is something I'm thinking about in a prior conversation I was in with you around diversity, equity, and inclusion and making sure that we stick to DEI when we're thinking about the tech space. Because as you know, there have been just movement from um, uh, other sides of your aisle that are suggesting that we should not be, uh, we should be race blind and we should be looking at these things anymore particularly on the heels of the Texas decision. I mean, does diversity, equity, and inclusion still matter in this space? And I know it does, because you're the first Asian American man to be in this high-ranking position. But, you know, let our listeners know if it matters or not as we look at the evolution of how, you know, our expertise evolves in this space.
1: Uh, absolutely. And let me just take a step back and say that, you know, in 2021, there was an increase of 339% and hate crimes against people who look like me, people who are, that was an increase against white people. So for anyone to say that we don't have racism in America, they are blind and they just have to accept reality that there is violence against people uh, who look like me, uh, who are Afro-Americans, who are Jewish Americans. Um, There's a stunning rise in anti Semitic acts. Uh, So let's just cut the BS. Uh, There is racism in America and we need to address it and we can't, uh, say we're not going to teach our kids about uh, racism or slavery or the Japanese-American internment because that might make them uncomfortable, uh, that is disrespectful to our students and it's going to harm our children. So That's right. I feel very really strongly uh, we need to include uh, DEI uh, also uh, in um, AI and make sure AI doesn't inadvertently exacerbate race or gender
0: biases. That's right. And I, I've heard you early in my... Um... Uh, uh, venture into this space, which is why you know, I was so excited to have you on here, be really clear about that, right? That these biases that happen based on racial or ethnic differentiation or class, they're real in our AI systems because in many respects, our AI systems are being trained on our trauma, right? These issues, these events, these historical remembrances that have found their way into our society and I totally agree with you. We cannot remove references to those experiences just because we think that they are harmful. They are part of how we got to where we are today. And we need to continue that conversation among tech companies who, you know, for whatever reason feel it's not important to have those voices at the table when they're developing these products and services. Am I right about that congressman as well? Like you need every seat pulled up at the table when you're talking about how to create fair, inclusive, and equitable AI. Uh, absolutely. And part of this is not
1: like they write a line of code that basically says, you know, we're discriminate against minorities. That's not how it works. Uh, what generally happens is the AI algorithm has a bias that the programmer did not intend or may not even know about. So let's talk about facial recognition, for, for example. No one's writing facial recognition programs and then inserting lines of code to say, hey, let's discriminate against minorities. That's not what's happening. What ends up happening is that when they do these programs with neutral code and they put in this data and they train on this data and then they deploy it, it turns out that facial recognition is less accurate on people with darker skin. There's been repeated studies on this. It is a known bias. And My view is you deploy this nationwide at all these law enforcement agencies. It's one huge equal protection violation because minorities will be misidentified at higher rates. And so we have to put guardrails on that and make sure uh, that we don't have that kind of bias, bias. And if we do, then we have to find ways to correct that.
0: Well, I'm proud to say that, you know, because of your efforts, the president put together a research commission as part of the National Academy of Sciences. And trust me, I'm bringing that perspective out there because you started. Right. Remember, with a lot of the awareness raising around the accountability of facial recognition, you and your colleagues there um, in the House are your opinions changing more transparency there too before we start wrapping this conversation up or do we uh have you have you changed in terms of facial recognition uh, more generally well, I, I feel even
1: stronger about it and it's because of the way ai technology works and i want people to understand that at a very fundamental level we don't actually know how generative ai works Yes. What we do know is, let's say you feed this AI algorithm a million pages of cats and it figures out what's a cat and what's not a cat. We can't actually trace it. We can't tell you what pattern it's recognizing. We just know that it looks like it gets to the right result. But it's possible that it's totally thinking about something different. And maybe it works 99.99% of the time, but there might be this one scenario where it goes totally bonkers, Uh, And that's why I think it's so important that we have humans in the loop and we have audits and we make sure that we can eliminate biases.
0: That's right. Do you think we'll uh, ever get to the point where the EU is, uh, Congressman, where they brought more structure to AI and how it's designed, deployed and accounted for? I mean, they're they're pretty ahead of us with regards to addressing some of the concerns that we're talking about today.
1: Uh, So one of the things that we do as lawmakers is we plagiarize. Uh, So (laughs) we'll see what other jurisdictions do. And if it turns out that the EU regulations are great, then I think there's a good reason to copy them. If it turns out they're not great, then we probably won't do it. Or maybe it's something in between, and then we'll take the good parts and, and not do the bad parts. So I think it's great that going forward, I look forward to seeing what happens in Europe when they do it.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting and it'll be interesting to see where we land. You know, one final question. I I am just so um I'm I'm such a fan girl right now because I think these issues that we're talking about are so real and so compelling and they're issues that I know at Brookings we love to talk about, particularly as we develop our AI equity lab at the center and as we think about ways to be a value as Congress and other stakeholders sort of think through these very complicated issues. But let's just say that we decide on some type of bipartisan commission, some type of AI legislation, guidance, voluntary commitments, will we still be too late? (laughs) Will there be some other technology that comes around that the uh, efforts that we put in place will not be future-proofed enough to address them?
1: Uh, We're not too late yet. I think at some point it might become too late, but I also want to note that it might also be a little too early if, you would say, hey, let's regulate AI next week, I'm not sure we would even know how to define it because it's moving so quickly. So I don't think there's a, a necessarily a bad reason to maybe wait a little bit of time to see, hey, do all 47 harms actually occur from generative AI? Or maybe it's just five harms and one random one we never thought of. So I think we're still in a place where We can definitely do a commission and have it look at these issues and make recommendations to Congress.
0: Well, I do agree that that commission can be a very helpful place to have, like you said, open door, transparent conversations and to bring in a multitude of stakeholders who in some way or form have a stake in the game or do not. I mean, I'm a sociologist, you know, go figure. Um, And I'm talking about AI, you know, most of the time of my day. Congressman, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate your uh, comments as part of the Tech Tank podcast.
1: Thank you. Honored to be on the podcast.
0: Well, and I just want to say, as we go on this journey, my friends who are listening today, we're going to continue to keep talking about AI. We're going to keep talking about generative AI. And more importantly, we're going to talk about the variety of ways in which we can approach it here in the U.S. from an industry perspective, from a technical improvement perspective from a public interest perspective. So thank you for listening to the Tech Tank podcast, where we take uh, bits and we turn them into small bites for people who want just an easier way to understand some of the more sophisticated technology issues. I'm Dr. Nicole Turner-Lee. Be sure to check out our Tech Tank newsletter and be on the lookout for our next podcast episode. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Tech Tank a series of roundtable discussions and interviews with technology experts and policymakers. For more conversations like this, subscribe to the podcast and sign up to receive the Tech Tank newsletter for more research and analysis from the Center for Technology Innovation at Brookings.